Well, welcome everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, everybody who's in the room in the Unity Hall, those of you who are watching online uh, or who are going to watch this later, we're really glad that you chose to be with us today. We know that you had a lot of different things that you could be doing, but you decided to be here and be part of our family. And that's something that I, I'm always hounding. I'm, I'm our online pastor, and that's one of the things I'm always talking about with our online congregation is that it's not just watching a message. It's not just sitting on the couch and, and singing some songs or coming here and singing some songs that, you know, there's a lot better preachers out there than me. Matter of fact, we have two of them that are part of this church. Um, actually, there's more than that. I mean, where, where'd Jamie go? That communion meditation, I was thinking like, man, I'd have Jamie up here preaching today instead of me. That was awesome. So thank you for that. Uh, but, you know, it's about being part of a community, Right? Because like I said, you can stay at home and watch Stephen Furtick or Craig Gershell or, or any of these other pastors who have, minist- who have ministries. You can watch them on TV. You can watch them on your computer. But you're here. And that's because we're a family. See, because a Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian unless you want to get taken out and taken out quick by the enemy. So that was a little bonus there. That was not actually part of what I was going to say. So um, I really want to thank Pastor Deal and Pastor Adam for giving me the opportunity to, to uh, share today. Um, you know, I, like I said before, we have both of those pastors are just amazing speakers, and they're so different. I, I love that their speaking styles are, are so far apart from each other, really. You know, Pastor Deal just has this amazing, deep well of wisdom and experience and knowledge that he draws on, and he just pulls things out of the Word, and I'm like, oh. You're like, you know, I've read that passage 18 times and never saw that, but the Holy Spirit just speaks to him, and, and Pastor Adam is so engaging, and he's fun, and he has these cool props and examples and stuff, you know, and he can make hard truth easy to swallow. You know, he's kind of like Mary Poppins, right? Spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Mary Poppins fans, anybody? Just, okay, all right, Carson, you know what I'm talking about, buddy. All right, you know, and then you got me. And I guess you could call my speaking style or my preaching style, whatever you want to call it, as nerd. Um, and, and so I got to warn you guys, we're going to get nerdy today. I mean, you know, anybody watch the show, uh, uh, dirty jobs with Mike Rowe. All right. And how at the beginning he says, all right, now get ready to get dirty. So, you know, when it's preaching time with pastor Todd, it's get ready to get nerdy. All right. You know, and I joke a lot about it, but it's true. Like I subscribe to this magazine right here. Okay. This magazine is called Bible and Spade. And it's a magazine about biblical archaeology. Like, I get excited when this comes in the mail, right? Let's see, what are, what are, the, what are the headlines for this one? Patriarchs and nomads. Oh, We got oldest Yahweh inscription. Right there, that's it. I'm going to learn about that. We've got uh, Shasu prisoners right there. Egyptian hieroglyphics, right? Like, you guys, if you want to, you can borrow this. Uh, just come and find me afterwards. I know there will be a line. So, you know, we'll... Uh, <coughs> We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll form an orderly queue here. but No, so I, I like to joke about that, uh, but really, I want to make something really clear about this today is that not everybody is going to get as excited about biblical archaeology or studying the culture of the Old Testament or studying the culture of the New Testament or, or anything like that, and that's totally fine. But having at least some knowledge of what was happening back then, of what life was like for those people, of of what their different customs and processes and things were like, can be a great aid when we read read God's word. See, because God's word was not written in a vacuum, right? When it was written by the human authors who were inspired by God to write exactly what he wanted them to write, there was stuff happening in that time and in that place and in their lives. Just like 
My speaking is very different from Pastor Deal or Pastor Adam. Like the writings of Paul are very different from the writings of Moses and very different from the prophecies of Isaiah, which are very different from the prophecies of Hosea, right? And so if we can grasp a little bit of what was happening at that time, what it does is it makes the word come alive for us. And we see like, this is real stuff. This is something that really happened. These people had hopes and they had dreams and they had emotions and they, they failed and they succeeded and God worked powerfully in their lives. And some of the stories are of what not to do. And so I want us to think about this today. Here, here's some great examples, all right? And I'm not going to give you the answers. I'm just going to kind of, you know, throw the hook out there. You know, why, of all places, did God have Joseph take Mary and baby Jesus to Egypt? Why, of all the places he could have sent him, why Egypt? There's a very important answer to that. And I'm not going to give it to you. Right now, anyway. You can come ask me later, or you can look it up for yourself. I mean, we all got Google, right? Google's good. Okay? Another one is, at the wedding feast of Cana, when Jesus had them fill those big stone ceremonial jars, why did he use those? He could have just made wine appear from nowhere, right? But he used those jars for a specific reason. And I'm not going to tell you that one either. You can look it up yourselves, or you can come and talk to me later. Okay, hopefully that was some bait on the hook to get you to understand, like, wow, like there's meaning in the Bible and things we might normally pass over because they're not important to us. Like, I don't know, okay, so it's a jar, big deal. But that jar has meaning and there's significance to that, all right? So like I said, <clears throat> we're going to get a little bit nerdy today. Actually, we already got kind of nerdy, didn't we? I got, and I got my Bob Ross mug too, you know, how nerdy is that? <laughs> Bob Ross is awesome. But with all this in mind, as we're going to look at a passage from the book of Revelation that talks about the church in Ephesus, okay? And this particular church is very, very interesting. Ephesus was a church, or excuse me, it was a city in the Roman province of Asia Minor. I think we have a map, don't we, Brittany? <clears throat> there we go. All right, so this is Asia Minor, this whole big thing. It's now known as Turkey, okay? And Ephesus was a city right down here, kind of in the bottom. If you notice up a little bit, you see where Troas is? Okay, anybody heard of the Trojan War? Yeah? Some people believe that that was the site of the ancient city of Troy. You know, the Iliad, the Odyssey, you guys, anybody had to read that in high school besides me? Okay. Well, Ephesus was a city in the same region, further down, and this was a major, major city in the Roman Empire, okay? A lot of stuff happened in this. It was a regional capital for Rome, um, so think of it kind of like a Chicago or something like that. Like, it wasn't the capital of the Roman Empire, but it was a major, major city. They had a huge amphitheater, the, the largest amphitheater, like a stadium, in the ancient world. 50,000 people that thing could seat. To give you some perspective, Lucas Oil Stadium, where the Colts play, seats 67,000. So now imagine building a 50,000-person uh, stadium with, like, Rocks and, yeah, <laughs> right? They didn't have cranes and bulldozers. What they did have was a lot of slaves. But, um, all right, so this was a major city. It was also a major center for the cult of the uh, Roman and Greek goddess Diana or Artemis. It was very morally loose. The, the focus and the emphasis was on wealth. Does any of this sound kind of familiar? Like a culture that was focused on wealth and success culture that was very morally loose, a culture that, you know, was, was following after false gods, and ringing a bell, yeah? Sounds kind of familiar to what we've got going on today, right? And that's why it's important for us to look at these kind of things. But see, the city of Ephesus was also a major center 
for early Christianity. A lot of great things happened in the city of Ephesus. Anybody ever read the book of Ephesians? Paul's writing that to the, to the church in Ephesus. Okay? It was actually started by Paul when he was on his uh, second missionary journey. There were tons of different uh, miracles and things that happened in, uh, in Acts chapter 19, and Paul gets into trouble with that cult of Diana that we were talking about. Uh, he wrote 1 Corinthians while he was in Ephesus. And there were tons of miracles that were done. Paul's spiritual son, Timothy, the, the uh, recipient of First and Second Timothy, those letters Paul wrote, he was a leader there. And Priscilla and Aquila actually um, discipled Apollos there. And Apollos is mentioned many times throughout Scripture as well. So I say all this so we know that this is not just some little backwater village, that this is not just some eh, little you know, podunkville or whatever. It was both a cosmopolitan, wealthy, huge pagan city, but also that it was a center for the early church. And all of this is important when we start to read what the message is. Because in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus has some messages for seven churches in that area. And like I said, the one we're going to be looking at specifically is Ephesus. And while I believe that that message was for them in that time and place, I believe it's also a message for us right now. So what he said, Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. And Jesus is saying this, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Let's pause right there. Wow, that's a great description of a church, right? We read that and we're like, man, these guys are on the ball. This church has it right. They're doing the right things. They look like a healthy, living, breathing church. You know, they're not falling for false teachings. They're doing the right stuff. But then we read on. And what does Jesus say? He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. They were doing all of these awesome, amazing things. And yet Jesus said, you're missing the most important thing of all. And if you don't get this right, then I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, often in Scripture, the number seven refers to God or the Holy Spirit. Light, very often, or oil, very often refers to the Holy Spirit. So what I believe Jesus is saying here is, if you don't get this right, then I will come to you and I will remove my Holy Spirit from you. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that, you know, Jesus is saying, oh, I'm going to take my salvation back. No, I'm talking about the anointing, right? I'm talking about that, that supernatural power that God gives us, like what Jamie was saying, to overcome that fear. Because how many of us that have been Christians for a while, we know what it's like to, to try to be a follower of Jesus without the Holy Spirit's power, right? How well does it work? Right, exactly. It doesn't work. We're all like... Yeah, that, that's like, no, it doesn't work, okay? So again, I'm not saying that Jesus is going to come and take his salvation from us. You know, Paul's pretty clear that, you know, you can, like, build your works out of, out of like, good stuff, out of precious jewels and stuff, or you can build it out of straw, and if you build it out of straw, it's going to burn up, but you're still going to make it to heaven, just like, you know, somebody who escaped a fire with nothing else, right? But I don't want that to be my story. I don't want the Holy Spirit's anointing to be removed from my life. I don't want the Holy Spirit's anointing to be removed from this church because remember, that happened to King Saul in the Old Testament, right? Because he was not obedient to God, 
The Holy Spirit's anointing was removed from him and transferred to David, and David became the greatest king the Israelites had ever seen. He was called a man after God's own heart because he had that anointing. And what happened to Saul? He didn't last very long, did he? And we use him now as an example of what not to do. I don't want that anointing removed from this church, and I don't want that anointing removed from my life, and I don't want that anointing removed from your lives. Because there's no, like, pastoral Holy Spirit, right? There's no Holy Spirit junior. We've all got the same Holy Spirit. All right. So as we talk about this and as we think about, like, how can we prevent this from happening, you know, it can be helpful to think about what does this even mean to leave your first love, to abandon your first love? Anybody ever had a relationship end, whether a romantic relationship or a friendship? A lot of us have, I'm sure. And sometimes it ends because of, you know, uh, a blow-up. You know, maybe there's just some huge argument or something happened or, you know, God forbid there was abuse. And if that's your story, I'm so sorry that you, that you had to go through that. But a lot of times when our relationships end, things just kind of fade, right? And why does that happen? Well, sometimes it's just natural because people change. Like, I had friends 15 years ago that I'm not close friends with anymore. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means we've changed. We've drifted apart. Some relationships are only supposed to last for a certain amount of time before God moves somebody on. But other times a relationship ends because we let it. Anybody ever have like a house plant in your office or, or home or whatever? So I'm legendary. Uh, we, we actually, it's from, from an old movie. I'm not going to talk about the movie, but uh, my wife got me a plant for my office several years ago uh, when I was working at Shepherds in Kinderville. And uh, the girls I worked with called it the love fern uh, because my wife got it for me. And uh, unfortunately, the love fern did not have a long and happy life. <laughs> See, because if all you do is dump a little bit of co uh, extra coffee on the love fern once a month um, and you don't make sure it's got sunlight and, uh, you know, the things that it needs, it, it doesn't last very long. Um, that, that poor plant. Uh, so my wife does not get me plants anymore. Uh, she's learned over the years that do not get me plants, right? But see, what, what happened to that plant? I didn't water it. I didn't make sure it had sunlight. I didn't make sure it had the things it needed, and so it withered and died. And sometimes our relationships do that too. Maybe it's because we got distracted by other things. So many affairs happen in people's marriages because people get bored. Because they stop putting the time and love and attention into the relationship that it needs. That's a problem. Or sometimes relationships end. Sometimes we drift because, like I said, we get bored. And so we start looking for other things. Maybe we start, you know, looking at, uh, uh, you know, some people get into gambling because they're bored with their lives. Some people get into, uh, you know, workaholism. Some people get into alcohol and drugs. Some people worship sex. Some people go after, you know, this, that, or the other. They live through their kids' school activities like sports or, or, uh, or a band. I mean, there's nothing wrong with kids being involved in activities, so please don't think I'm saying that. You know, my kids in marching band, we drove two and a half hours to watch and play for eight minutes and drove two and a half hours home last night. <laughs> band season is over soon. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> right? But the point that I'm making is that so often we start pouring our time and our energy into other things and then the relationships in our lives suffer. Why would we be surprised at that? Because it's just like a house plant. If you don't give it what it needs, it's going to die. And that's how relationships work too. 
Anybody ever heard familiarity breeds contempt? When my wife and I first started dating, like I, I wanted to spend every single moment with her. And like if she would just look at me the right way, my knees would turn to jello, and I'd be like, oh. You know, she's got these beautiful uh, blue, I almost said brown eyes, oh my gosh, blue eyes. She has brown hair. I was looking at her hair. That's my excuse. She has beautiful blue eyes. But you know what? If we're not careful, if I'm not careful, now I can be like, oh yeah, I recognize her. That's my wife. I love her. She's great. And she is all those things. But I have to remind myself, like right there, that's my gift from God. Like that's my, that's my partner. That's my helper. That's the love of my life. That's my best friend. That was Brandon, wasn't it? I recognize your voice. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? And like, you know, as much as I love Carson, Carson, what's up, buddy? You know, I don't want to spend as much time with Carson as I do with my wife. I mean, that'd be really weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you again, Brandon. You ever heard the grass is greener on the other side of the fence? No, the grass is greener where you water it, where you tend it. All right. So what is some evidence that maybe this is what we do in our relationship with God. Well, I want to point you to the prophet Hosea. Now, this poor guy, Hosea, is one of the lesser-known Old Testament prophets, but he's actually one of my favorites. And if anybody, I always feel bad for the prophets because they got such a raw deal from God so often. I'm like, God, these are your people. I'm like, is this what I have to look forward to? You know, I, I hope not, but this is what God said to Hosea. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, he says, When the Lord began to speak from, through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go. Marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. God made him marry a prostitute as an example of what God's people were doing, that they were chasing after other gods. And if you know the story, you know that not only did God make him marry this woman and try to start a family with her, she left him for another man who sent her to the slave markets to sell her as a slave. And not only that, then Hosea went to the slave market and bought that woman back. Who's that sound like? Maybe sound like Jesus a little bit? We were unfaithful to him. And we were sold into slavery by the enemy. But Jesus came and bought us back on the cross when he shed his blood for us. Now, one of the things that the ancient Israelites were doing is they were worshiping false gods. Two of them were Baal and Asherah. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to a temple of Baal and, and you know, bowing down, sacrificing him. We're not putting up those Asherah poles to talk about or anything like that. But like I said earlier, are we worshiping money? Are we worshiping success? Are we worshiping Netflix? Are we worshiping anything other than God? See, because here's the problem. When we put anything in our lives ahead of our relationship with God, you know what that makes that thing? It makes it what's called an idol which makes it a false God. Every single person in this room, actually every single person on this planet is worshiping something. The only question is, are you worshiping God or are you worshiping something else? Because we're all trying to fill that hole inside of us. But the only thing that could ever actually fill that hole is the presence of God. And, tr and trust me, I know. I've tried work. I've tried alcohol. I've tried women. I've tried just about everything you can imagine except for hard drugs, and nothing worked until I met Jesus. And then that hole got filled. So 
Like I said, anything that comes between you and God is an idol. But sometimes even things that seem good on the surface can be an idol. Why are you reading your Bible every day? If you are, I hope you are. Why are you spending time in prayer every day? Why are you serving in the church? Is it because you love God and want to please him? Is it because you think that that's, you know, you're checking off the boxes on what it means to be a good person? Is it because you want other people to see that you're, you're a righteous person, that you're a good Christian? Is that why? Or is it because you're wanting to grow closer to God and become more like Jesus? See, God cares about what's in our hearts. It's not just the things we do, but it's the attitude with which we do them that counts. It's our motives. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 28, Jesus says, You've heard it said. And I love how Jesus does that because he's like, All right, your whole lives, you've been taught this. Now I'm teaching you the truth. All right? You've heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So you're on the beach and you see that woman walk by and you're like, you know, giving her the long look. That's adultery, my friends. That's heavy. That's hard. That's convicting. I know there's times I've had to repent and I've had to say to my wife, I'm sorry, honey, I looked at that woman wrong. And I have to repent and say to God, I looked at that woman wrong. Or, or a little bit further on, you know, maybe not all of you have a problem with looking at women like, like you shouldn't, but, you know, Jesus said in the same breath, and if you're angry with your brother and you call him idiot, you've murdered him in your heart. How many people have been mad at somebody? Okay, just me, good. All right, I'm glad you guys are so good. That helps, right? Makes me feel better. Right? Jesus said, we've murdered them. Oh, that's heavy. See, because it's all about what is in our hearts. See, and Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, if you want to learn what Christianity is all about, read the Gospel of John and read the book of Romans. Those are the two right there. It says, no, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God not from people. Why are you doing the things that you do? Why are you here today? Is it because you think you ought to? We saw this a couple weeks ago when Pastor Adam was preaching about Mary and Martha. It wasn't that Martha was doing the wrong things. It wasn't like, it's not bad to clean your house. It's not bad to get a meal ready for guests. The problem was she was doing those things for the wrong reasons. She was doing them with a wrong heart. And that's what Jesus was saying. When we do the right things, but for the wrong reasons, that's when we fall into legalism. We fall into routine and duty, trying to earn God's favor, just going through the motions. When we're still acting like Christians on the outside, but on the inside, our fire, our passion for Jesus, our hunger for his presence, our hunger for his word is gone. That's when we know that we're in trouble. And I've been there. A little bit later, I'll tell you uh, some of my story about just a few years ago when I was in that place. Before we get there, I want to talk about three basic postures that we can adopt towards our relationship with God. And that is servant, slave, and son or daughter. Now, at some point in our Christian walk, you know, yes, we are considered slaves. We are considered servants. We are considered sons or daughters, okay? All those apply. Scripture is very clear. But for the most part, when I talk about how we are relating to our God, there's only one of those that is healthy, 
There's only one of those that is really, truly accurate. And I'll get to that in just a second. But I want to explain these. So the lowest level is slave. See, a slave serves their master because they have to. A slave serves because if they don't, they'll be punished. A slave serves out of fear. They have a have-to mindset. I have to do these things or I will be punished. I'll have to re- I have to read my Bible or God won't love me. I have to pray or God will strike me down. I have to make sure I'm in church every Sunday or God will be angry with me. And the middle road is the servant. Now often a servant serves willingly, but they still serve for pay. They serve for what they'll gain. They serve out of duty. Any Downton Abbey fans in here? I'm not. My wife is, but all right, a couple of you, all right, two honest people. Um, <laughs> Downton Abbey is, this, is about this British rich family, and you know, they've got all these servants and stuff. And a lot of those servants, they serve the family willingly. But let me tell you, if they weren't getting paid, they wouldn't stick around for very long. They like the family, they want to serve them, but they're there for what they can get. See, and servants have an ought to or a should mentality. Like, I should do these things. I should read my Bible because it's what I'm supposed to do. I should spend time in prayer because it's what I'm supposed to do. And then the highest level is son or daughter. A son or daughter knows they are loved by their father and guaranteed an inheritance. He or she lives to prepare themselves for the responsibility of the household and is confident and who he or she is. And they have a mindset of get to. I want to uh, show a picture here on the, on the screen. This is my dad. And this is one of my favorite pictures of my dad. I snapped this when we were hiking several years ago. And uh, uh, you can see he's got a little bit of a smirk on his face because he knew I was, I was snapping the picture. But dad and I love to hike together. That's something we really like to do. And that's my backpack sitting on the bench next to him. What I want to point out about this picture, though, is not just that my dad's cool, but that there's room on the bench. When he sat down on that bench, he left room. And who did he leave that room for? Some stranger that was walking along the trail, too? No, he left that space for me. And I can sit down on that bench. In fact, I did. And, and we always eat sardines while we're hiking. It's, it's gross, but that's what he wants to do, so I do. Um, you know, you see those nasty sardine cans sitting there. Um, you know, but I can sit down with him and share a snack with him, and we can talk, and I can relax and kick back, and we talk about things. Now, if a stranger came along and sat down on that bench with my dad, because my dad's a polite guy, he's not going to be like, get up, weirdo. No, he's going to like, oh, hey, how are you? You know, but he's not going to share his snack with that guy, probably, hopefully. He shares it with me. <laughs> Although he could share the sardines, I wouldn't be mad. You know? But see, I get to approach my father. And I get to approach my father differently than somebody who's not his child. And that's the way it is with God. And see, it's so important that we understand that. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17 says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, You received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Can you imagine that? We are co-heirs with Christ. Like we get to inherit with him. He did all the hard work and we just get to inherit 
course, there is one little part to that verse, and this is the part we don't like. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. That's the part we're like, no, we can just leave that off, right? But the point is, we are co-heirs with Christ because we are children of God. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is a journey that I've been on only in the last several years. I spent a lot of time as a slave, and I spent a lot of time as a servant. And now that I've been walking as a son of God, it has changed everything. It has changed everything. So which one are you? Why are you serving? Why are you following God? And maybe you're not, and I've got something to say to you a little bit later too. Is it because of fear of punishment? Is it because of what you can get from him? Like you just want his blessings on your life? Or is it because you know that he is your loving father and you are his beloved child? And see, this is something that keeps coming up. I love how God does this. Like this just keeps coming up over and over and over in my life. And, you know, we're talking about this in a, in a small group I'm part of, and it's amazing. And they talked about this a lot at the church conference I went to last week. And this was like the entire point of our teen conference this year. I was teaching on this very thing. And it's like, it's just amazing. I love how God just weaves everything together. Now, I want to say one thing real quick. I know that some of you did not have a good earthly father or do not have a good earthly father. And I know that some of you, maybe your, maybe your dad was abusive. Maybe your dad was just gone. Maybe your dad was distant. Maybe your dad was angry. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you have to deal with that. But please understand, your heavenly father is not like that. And I understand it's natural for us to project uh, onto, onto our heavenly father what our earthly father was like. But our heavenly father loves us perfectly. And I love thinking about the story of the lost son in Luke chapter 15. All right, we know that is the prodigal son, some of us. What I want us to see, though, is the perspective of the father. See, and Jesus told this story for a very specific reason. So every day, the father would wait at the end of his driveway, looking for his son to come home, praying and hoping. And one day, he saw this son who had taken his money, blown it on women and partying and stuff, who was so poor, they were starving, and he wanted to eat like pig food and stuff. Remember, Jews thought pigs were nasty. They were forbidden from eating them and, and being even, even around them, all right? And so the son is coming home. And it says, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and ran to him. See, what we've got to understand is in that time and culture, here's another historical tidbit. In that time and culture, if you were an important man, if you were a landowner, you didn't run. No, you were dignified. You're like, hello, I'm an important person, right? You know, you wouldn't have run, especially not to some deadbeat son that did stuff like that. No, you, if he was lucky, you'd accept him back as a slave, maybe. No, and the father runs to him and listen church that is what our father does for us when we finally come to our senses and come home he's waiting for us so how do we go back to our first love it's real easy remember repent and return revelation 2 5 consider how far you have fallen remember repent and do the things you did at first repent do the things you did at first return if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. We remember the good things that God has done for you. Think back to how you used to love to spend time in his presence. Think back to how you used to love to read the Bible and you'd like open it up and like God's word would just jump off the page at you. 
The ancient Israelites, I've got a couple scriptures, but we're going to have to skip those. They're in the notes if you want to check them out. Um, but the ancient Israelites used to put up stones to remember special things. You know, that's Ebenezer. We all heard Ebenezer Scrooge. That means stone of remembrance. They would put this stone up so they would remember what God had done. And they could point in their children, and the, the kids would say, what's that stone for, Dad? And he would say, well, that is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan River on dry ground because God made a way for them. Amen. And we got to repent. Repent means stop turn around and go the other direction. Whatever you've got in your life that is ahead of God, stop. Turn around and go the other direction. I actually have a little sticky note that, that's like attached to my desk and it says, stop it. And that's a reminder to me to stop what I'm doing. And don't try to hide like Adam and Eve did in the garden. It doesn't work. God knows your heart. He knows right where you are. Don't try to hide from him. Instead, run to him. And I love what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, 14 to 16. He says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Did you catch that? Jesus knows exactly what you're struggling with right now because he struggled with the exact same thing. Now, the difference is Jesus didn't sin because, you know, he's Jesus, right? But he knows exactly how you're feeling. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. And right here we see, come boldly to the throne of grace. Go right up to that bench that your father is sitting on and sit next to him and say, Father, I need your help. Or, Father, I'm struggling with this, and I need you to forgive me. Just go to him because he wants you to come to him. And again, don't be ashamed. He knows anyway. And then we need to return. What were the things and times where you used to feel close to God? Is it in praise and worship? Do more of that. Are you like me? You feel close to God out in his creation? Go for a hike by yourself. All right? Is it serving in the nursery? or studying his word, or playing music, or spending time in prayer, go do that. Whatever it was that used to help you feel close to God, go do it. Do the things you used to do. Was it being smart, part of a small group at church? Do it. We've got plenty of groups for you to choose from. It's never too late to sign up. And then we have to eliminate distractions. Ooh, this is the one we don't like to do. We've got to eliminate distractions. I don't watch a whole lot of TV, maybe a couple hours a week, but I read. I love books. I love to read. I will easily sit down and spend three hours on an evening with my nose stuck in a book. And we usually think of reading as something good, and it is. But if I'm reading when I should be reading the Bible, that's a problem. And if I'm reading a book when I should be spending time in prayer, that's a problem. And if I'm reading the Bible when I should be spending time in worship, or when I'm reading a book when I should be spending time in worship, that's a problem. Whatever it is for you, maybe it's mowing the lawn. You know, you got to have a, an awesome lawn like the neighbors. Thank God my wife mows our, our yard, so I don't have to worry about it because I think grass is stupid. Um, I like trees, not grass. My wife takes care of the yard, although Chuck, my, my boy, he started doing it. Thank you, buddy. Um, you know, maybe for you it is Netflix. Maybe for you it's video games. Maybe it's work. You know, take some time off work. Go home, spend time with your family. Whatever your distraction is, cut it out. doesn't mean you have to stop doing it completely. But whatever it is, get it out from in front of you and God. 
James chapter 4, verse 8, the writer James says, come close to God, and God will come close to you. Pretty simple. You want to get closer to God? Come close to him. But then again, here's the not fun part. Wash your hands, you sinners. There's that repent part. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And there's that distraction part. See, you've got to want it. You've got to make the decision that you're going to chase after God with everything you have. If you want to return to your first love, you can't let anything get in the way of that. We need to remember who God is. Remember what he's done for us in the past and how it used to feel to be in his presence. Repent of putting other things ahead of him, of your apathy, of your backsliding. Go to him honestly and openly, knowing that he already knows. But more than that, he understands. And he's just waiting for you to return. Return to him in truth. Draw close to him by prayer, reading his word, and just spending time in his presence. Now, I know that a lot of us here today have left our first love. And that's my story, too. Like I said, I would mention this. About seven or so years ago, my fire was out. There were barely any, any embers left. We had Saturday night services then, and, you know, I worked on half a day on Saturdays, and so I'd come home and lay on the couch, and my wife would be like, hey, let's go to church. And be like, well, why don't we just go tomorrow? I got a headache. I'm tired. I don't feel good. I just need to relax. Sometimes my wife would say, okay, and we'd just chill at home. Sometimes she'd just take the kids to church without me because she knew that if she said, all right, let's do Sunday morning, Sunday morning we'd wake up, I don't feel good. I'm tired. I just need a day to relax. And my sainted wife would take our kids to church without me. I was dead. I was still a Christian. I was still saved. I still believed. But my fire was gone. The anointing was gone. My lamp was out. And then I got diagnosed with cancer. And right about that same time, a very close friend of mine got a new, amazing touch from God. And, and, and I would see him and I'd think, God, I want that. How can I get that? How can I get back to where I used to be? Because I don't like being empty. I don't like being afraid. And it was a long journey. And I'm still on that journey. But let me tell you, church, if you have left your first love, if you've let that fire go out, you can get that fire started again today. Will you please stand with me? Please bow your heads, close your eyes. If that's your story today, if you've let that fire go out, if you need that fresh filling from God, if you need your lamp to be relit, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand. There's no shame here. You just heard me tell my story. Nobody else is going to know. Me and God, and I see a lot of hands raised. Thank you, Lord, for those hands that are raised. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here with us today. And we're going to pray for you in just a minute. But I also want to make another invitation. Maybe you've never actually started that relationship with Jesus. Maybe he's never been your first love. And if that's your story, I invite you to raise your hand too. If you want to do that, if you want to start a relationship with the God who made you and loves you, to have your sins forgiven by his sacrifice on the cross, to have a life lived with your loving Father, then I invite you to raise your hand as well. And then third, maybe your relationship with God is going well. 
Maybe you are close to God, but you want more. You want more of his spirit. You want more of his presence. You want more of his power so that you can continue serving him. And if that's you, I invite you to raise your hand as well. If you raised your hand at all, go ahead and put it back up. We're going to pray. Father, I just thank you so much that you are here with us today, that you are with us always, that you have said that you will never leave us nor forsake you, forsake us. But I know, God, that sometimes we leave you and that we forsake you. And I thank you for your mercy and grace that when we come to our senses and return, you are waiting for us. Holy Spirit, I ask you to just rain down on us today. Oh, Holy Spirit, just like, just like the believers in, in the book of Acts that Brother Jamie mentioned, pour down on us with boldness, pour down on us with power, pour down on us with your righteousness, with your grace, with your peace, with your love. Light the fire in our hearts again. Let our lamps be lit brightly to shine for you because this world is dark and this world is becoming darker. And your light is needed more than ever before. And God, we know that you don't need us, but that you want us. We just thank you that you invite us in to your plan and your purpose and into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing one more song, and as we go into this song, I just invite you, let your heart be open to whatever God wants to speak to you today. Let your heart be open to whatever God wants you to receive from him.